Hey, Shannon, welcome back. It's a brand new school year. Let's start season five. Can't wait. This is the Reading Teachers Lounge where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, welcome to the Reading Teacher Sounds Season 5, Episode 1. I am Shannon Betts, and I have been teaching since 2002, either as a classroom teacher or reading specialist. Currently, I'm working at a private school part-time as the resource teacher for grades 3 through 8. I, um, you can find me online at readingdevelopment.com or on Twitter, Instagram at rdngdevelopment. Hi, I'm Mary Sagafi. I've been teaching since 2006. Currently, I'm working as a private dyslexia advocate and also um, a private tutor for children who have reading difficulties. Um, and you can um, search my website at www.marysagafitutoring.com. And our own um, social media and website is readingteacherslounge.com. And we are on Facebook and Instagram at Reading Teachers Lounge. Yeah. Shannon, welcome back to a new school year. How has your summer been? Let's catch up. It's been awesome. Um, I Last year, I worked part-time the whole year. So I didn't arrive at June just completely burned out, which I feel bad because I know a lot of teachers were really burned out from last oh, no, year. Don't feel bad. You're yeah. working really hard as well. And also, um, our listeners might not know, but Shannon, um, a couple of years ago suffered from a brain injury. And so, um, her work schedule has kind of shifted a little bit over our last five seasons, but good for you, Shannon. I'm so happy that actually, I think everybody should give themselves a big hug and a squeeze for making it through last school year. <laughs> yes. Yes. Whichever, whatever, um, whatever teaching position we were in. in. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, but I wasn't fully drained this June, like I normally am. And so I was able to spend a lot of the summer working on my phonics units that I've been putting on teachers by teachers. I actually made, um, 17 units. Woo-hoo! I did, um, all the short vowels, all the long vowels, and then also all of my syllables ones, which I was really excited about. Cause the syllables ones I have envisioned, I don't even know if I've talked about this in the podcast, but I had originally wanted to make a reading app mm-hmm. where I, it was like all these digital activities to teach someone how to read. And I'd actually back in 2016 hired an app developer where I taught him my processor teaching kids how to read. And we had mapped out the whole process digitally yep. and I had done all the activities and then I couldn't find funding to build the app. And so I've just been sitting on those ideas and turning them into print plans for teachers pay teachers, but it's not quite the same as how I visited them digitally. But when I went to go build all these syllables units, I pulled out all the app plans and I found all the syllables activities and I just wove all of it together into the syllable plans. And I'm just so, I really, really love them so much because it's exactly how I've always taught the syllables. And I've been reading in the science of reading that sometimes you don't necessarily have to fully even teach the syllable types to like where students can see something and immediately say it's a closed syllable or, you know, a vowel team syllable or whatever. And um, I've never really taught them that way. Anyway, I've just used syllables as an approachable way 
to reteach the phonics skills to my older students who didn't have them before. So they mm-hmm. were so embarrassed to just start with CBC or CBCE mm-hmm. one syllable words that if I could just start with closed syllables and open syllables and magic E syllables, they felt more grown up and more mature reading these bigger words, which is what they felt that they could never do anyway. Anytime I always ask students, what's your goal for the year? They always would say, I want to read big words. And so when I started with big words, yeah, they were much more open to learning those phonics skills. And I would kind of put one syllable and multi-syllable words all together. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I set up my syllabus units. And so I'm excited. I, I have a plan this year to use them with some of my middle schoolers who still need mm-hmm. some phonics. And I'm going to do lunch and learn with them where a couple of days a week, they're getting lunch with me and I'm going to teach them the syllable types and, the, and go through the phonics sounds that way with them. Okay. And then as soon as they're better at decoding, then I can work on vocabulary and fluency and comprehension with them. Syllables so I did that. Are my total favorite thing to teach. It, yes. Absolutely. It is. Um, I'm working with a little boy who's going, who's just starting third grade right now. And we've been doing syllables all summer long. And um, I especially love it with my struggling learners, especially between that, like later second grade or, or like mid second grade, you teach them that this is how you can break the code and they can read big words. And we do a lot of coding where we actually like code the um, vowels and the consonants and follow the rules and break it. And I, the, the practice that they have, the repetition, they just love it. It is so, I don't know. It's invigorating to me. It is. I love it. It is. And it brings their attention to the vowel, which I've, yes. you know, I've always said is such so important for, especially the struggling readers. So I'm very Yay. excited about that. On a personal note, um, I had a really cool thing I did with my family, my brother, my little brother. I have a lot of siblings. So this was one of my little brothers got married and he got married in Lebanon. So my husband and I flew there for a very quick whirlwind trip um, and met my family there. And it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my entire life. It was just a very, it was a very old place. We were in a city that was 9,000 years old and everything. I don't know. It just had a depth that, you know, is not here in America because we're such a new country. And um, the colors were so pretty on the Mediterranean with, it was just lots of like blues and greens and like these pretty soft grays and browns. And then there were all these colorful flowers everywhere and the food was delicious. And um, the Lebanese people were so welcoming. We had a really good time and the wedding was really fun. Love that. Lebanese food happens to be my favorite. Um, Well, I have to parallel it. My husband is Persian. And so Persian food is actually my favorite, but all Mediterranean food, but especially I, I tend to gravitate, um, uh, towards Lebanese food. It's so delicious and flavorful and fresh and, oh, yum. I love it too. Where I'm from in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, there were just a lot of Lebanese immigrants that happened to live there and they all opened restaurants. So almost in every neighborhood in Baton Rouge, there's a Lebanese restaurant. So in Baton Rouge, we grew up eating like really good Cajun food, but on the flip side, you grew up eating really good Lebanese food. Like everybody can name, you know, hummus and baba ganoush and, you know, all these um, kibbeh and all these like specialty dishes. So when I got there, I really impressed, um, you know, my brother's bride's family, because I was naming all the dishes and I knew exactly what they were. They were like, Love oh, have you had this before? And I'm like, I grew up eating this food and it was all naturally gluten-free mostly. And so, yeah, that's um, true. I was, I was in food heaven. It was amazing. Oh, yay. Oh, I'm so glad you got to experience that trip. That is so fantastic. 
Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. The, the travel is just so nice. We, um, we did a family trip. We did almost a family reunion, I would say, um, with my husband's family and we ended up going to Colorado oh. and we were in the mountains. It was so beautiful. Um, we, uh, we stayed at, um, we stayed at a big house and then the house was attached to um, like a hotel that had was sort of a resort. So it had a pool attached to it. So we were able to take um, a little bus and go into the village and then go um, around. And so my kids, um, we decided to do um, a family adventure. We went up to Vail Mountain and we took oh, the gondolas nice. up and they have a mountain roller coaster there and some climbing walls and some, um, uh, what do you call them? Um, uh, zip line things, stuff like that. And, um, the kids just had the best time. And my little four-year-old was so funny. Um, she was so brave. She couldn't wait to go on the mountain roller coaster and she was able to go on it with me. And she had her hands in the air the entire time kept saying faster, faster. She's <laughs> such a little adventure bug. That was so fun. So we did, we had a really nice time with, um, with family in Colorado. So that was our plan. And I've been tutoring, but I'm so, I'm working so hard on boundaries. Boundaries, you know, are constantly this ever changing, um, you know, struggle <laughs> as an adult, <laughs> I think for Mary everyone. likes saying, well, she has a hard time saying no. I have a hard time saying no, because I'm very, I'm invested in a lot of things and I get very enthusiastic and you want to help every reader and every family that you meet. I really do. I love it. So, um, this summer I had a plan to just do a one day sign up, and I would let, um, any of my past students or any of my current students just sign up. And it happened to be on Tuesdays and I did not make any other days available. So if it, if I wasn't, a, um, or if they couldn't attend that day, then they just couldn't attend that day. So I had childcare one day and then the rest of the week, we had just some fun family adventure kind of stuff. We went to the pool. We, we did some, I don't know, just fun kids stuff, like going to the zoo one day and I don't know, stuff like that. So we had a really nice summer. It was great. It was, I'm trying to just soak up all the time I have with my kids right now. Cause they're a really fun age. They're seven and four right now. And so, um, yeah, those are awesome great. ages. I remember when my youngest hit that age and I was like, Oh, he can strap himself in the, you know, in the booster seat, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, and then, the and then help me pack the suitcase. And all of a sudden travel got easier, going places got yes. easier. And we hit sort of the sweet spot of parenting at that point. We went to the airport and didn't have to take the stroller. It was, yes. it was, <laughs> I know that that sounds so dramatic, but like, it really does change how travel is. It felt more like a vacation this time than just an adventurous trip. <laughs> yes. You hang up you the diaper bag small. and you're back to normal purse and you're just, you're just less encumbered by, yes. by so kid I'm, stuff. I think that like, you kind of have to embrace the season that you're in. And so, you know, like if you have small kids, you're just in it. That's just the season, but you know that it's going to change. So I'm, I'm trying to set those boundaries. So, um, yeah, so that's been going great. Actually, it's been, it was a really nice summer and now we're starting second grade and my youngest is in her last year of preschool. So we're soaking up all the fun that that brings too. So it's wow. great. I know my kids started uh, seventh grade and third grade. My two boys. Ooh. Yes. I know. Seventh grade is such a good year. It's um 
It is. Sixth grade was hard for me personally when I was a child. And then it ended up being hard for my son. But then seventh Mm -hmm. grade was easier for me personally. And it started out easier now for my son. So I'm hoping that we'll have a good year. I know it's not true with all kids, but I think for me, when I went to seventh grade, I remember it being just a much more, um, like I took more ownership of my learning. I, I felt like more of an adult and I was like excited to like embrace that. I was looking more forward to like my life stuff. I mean, go figure me thinking about what I wanted to do would be when I grew up. <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. Cause you're starting to look, you know, at high school and then even yeah. beyond the college and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Well, let's get, um, uh, let's, let's introduce our fans and our listeners to what season five is going to bring. Oh, I am so excited. So um, we kind of took time this summer and just, you know, kind of reflected on the first four seasons of our podcast. And we sorted to kind of see that we almost had themes, you know, mm-hmm. throughout each season. And last year's season theme ended up being science of reading because we were delving into so many of those topics and had so many good guests um, yes. helping us learn about um, the best practices Um that have become more talked about in mainstream as science of reading has, you yeah. know, taken hold. And so this year um, our theme is kind of the reading brain. And so yeah. we're really going to be taking what we learned about the science of reading and then kind of looking at um, what that looks like in the students and how we can help the students. Basically the goal is to eventually get the students to orthographically map yeah. every word so that every word's a sight word. So that, yeah, so everything becomes more automated um, and that they have a better understanding of how their brain works uh, in, in some senses, or even teachers have a better, I think this is more reasonable is actually that teachers have a better understanding of how words get into students' brains and mm-hmm. stick there. That's exactly. really what it comes down to. Exactly. Um, and parents as well, because we know that um, parents are really curious too. They're trying to figure out how their students read um, and, and gain this information and also support teachers. So that's, that's our mission. Of course, we want you to eavesdrop on our conversations that we have about this, or, um, we'll bring guests into the conversation so that you can learn along with us. And, um, I just wanted to say when Shannon and I were kind of looking back on our, um, journey with this podcast, when we first started, um, we had a mission to just dive in and we knew that we were doing good things, but, um, it, it sort of leaves you at a place that's a bit vulnerable and um, you have to be a little bit trusting of yourself and, um, and just allow this like vulnerability to kind of shine through because I think that this is real. Teachers feel guilty when they feel like they can't meet the needs of their students. And um, as a born and raised Catholic, <laughs> I come by guilt very easily. And um, same, yeah, I just, I try really hard to, um, separate that and just keep doing the next right thing and, and take that next step forward. And I think that you can kind of, if you are listening back to our, some of our previous seasons, you might notice that, you know, we talked a lot about balanced literacy and woven through our balanced literacy. Um, we were also talking about phonics and how important phonics instruction is. And multisensory um, practices uh, and activities. Uh, uh, Yes. And that's, that's what I'm preaching all the time is keep it multi-sensory people. So um, our intentions are always to help our students and, and be strong. And I know that um, you don't go into teaching 
if you don't have those same intentions. You want to help kids progress and grow and become independent thinkers and learners. That's what we all do when we decide to become teachers. And, um, you know, I think that this year and last year and some of our previous years have brought a lot of pressure and a lot of, um, I don't know, feelings of inadequacy because you just feel like you can't do it all. And um, I think we need to let go of that a bit and just take the next step forward. So that's sort of what Shin and I are trying to model for you all. And I hope that you'll give us some grace and likewise, give yourself some grace as you also maneuver through the school year. Cause I think that that's very, very important and um, just keep doing what's best for your kids. For sure. I was talking about that with a friend on the phone yesterday, actually, because she switched schools from last year to this year. And this was our first time talking since the summer. So I was like, how's pre-planning going? How's your classroom set up? How's it going at the new school? And it's going well. And she's excited because they have really good programs in place at their school. Um, She's got Hegarty. She's got a very strong phonics curriculum. And then they are using the basal as their sort of link for comprehension and writing and some of the other skills. And it's all good when you look at it, but then she said something, something about the way the reader's workshop is going. And unfortunately she has to do it after lunch, Mm. but she said, it's just not flowing. It doesn't flow for my students. It doesn't flow for me. It doesn't make sense. We're not efficient. She's like, I like all the individual things, but it just, it's not cohesive. And um, Mm -hmm. she's, but she's feeling a lot of pressure because she's got a literacy coach in her school. She's got an academic coach. They're going to be coming in and observing her. And there's a lot of non-negotiables, you know, and initiatives in their building. And I was just flashing back to my old public school when I was in that position, when I was teaching second grade, when I started, when we started this podcast and I felt that pressure a lot too. And where you feel like you have to do, you know, teachers were kind of like rule followers, you know, we're good, nice people. And so we sit in those grade level meetings and the staff meetings, and we're told, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And we're like, okay, okay, we'll do all those things, you know? And then you try to, you try them with your students. And sometimes it just doesn't all make sense, you know? Yep. And so the advice gave my friend is what I ended up doing when I was teaching second grade, which was just focus on your students, focus on your students. And if it doesn't make sense to you, then trust me, it doesn't make sense to your students. Okay. And so they're going to, they're not going to see this good phonemic awareness from Hegarty and this good phonics and this, you know, comprehension and everything you're doing. They're not going to see it as cohesive. If you don't see it as cohesive, they're going to see it as three separate subjects and three separate lessons, and they're not going to weave it together to do that smooth orthographic mapping like they're wanting. So I said, I would think outside the box. I would do it quietly. I wouldn't ruffle feathers at my school, but I would see if you could put like, for example, her Hegarty right now, she's doing it all together for like 15, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And the thing with Hegarty is it's like really fast. It's like these Past like two minutes drills. Yeah, phonetic awareness drills. And And so just drills. Yeah. And so I said, could you do some of them with morning work and morning meeting? Could you do some of them when you're lining up for lunch? Could you see like your whole day as putting in the pieces of Hegarty rather than starting your 10 minutes when that's when the students are most interested? You know, I would want that to be my phonetic, I would want that to be my phonics part time 
from my first grade class. I wouldn't want to waste the first 10 minutes of their, not waste, but use the first 10 minutes of their focus energy on all this phonemic awareness. And then by the time I get to the phonics, I've kind of lost some of them because they have a hard time focusing for that long when they're that young. So I said, I would see if I could split up those pieces quietly, (laughs) leave at least one piece for that, you know, we come back from lunch. We do that last little most like really interactive piece of Hegarty to really get them focused and transition from lunch mode and recess mode back into literacy mode. And then I would go straight into my phonics from there. And then I would also weave my phonics in as much as I could with the basal so that it's more cohesive for the students. And I was just like, I know it's hard, but just try as like, I would prioritize what my students need. And when I have made that decision in the past, like when I did it in my second grade class, it made sense to my students. I was calmer. I was more confident. And two things happened. One, the data showed it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And my reading scores were great on map. And guess what? After your reading scores are good, they leave you alone. And they yeah. don't, they're not, they're not as, you know, eagle eye focused on you. And you right. can get away with just sort of not following the non-negotiables like letter by letter by letter, because we're teachers and we have a craft. And so we need to personalize things for our teaching. I, I truly, yeah. truly believe that. And so the other thing is, um, that's great advice, Shannon. That's really helpful. Yeah, definitely. So, um, just focus on what the students need and then the data will follow, you know, mm-hmm. and then, then the, the, your administrators will trust you that you can hand that you're doing what you're supposed to do. The academic coaches and the literacy coaches will trust that you're doing what you need to do. And it just kind of all smooths out. So um, I've been there and it's not easy and it takes, it takes some boldness, you know, to actually yeah, close your That's door and do what's right for your students. And you, I, I always did feel like this was even when like my non-negotiables were balanced literacy. Mm-hmm. And I was like teaching phonics in secret, you know, and I was doing these other things like phonemic awareness activities in secret because I felt like I was going to get caught in as not doing something that wasn't part of my Lucy Hopkins lesson, mm-hmm. you know, or part of my Fountain Simpanel lesson. But I just focused on what was right for my students. And I kept looking at the students' data. And once the students were learning, you know, we formed a classroom community. And then what was happening on the outside just didn't matter as much. I think that's such good advice. I really, I mean, the hardest part is um, uh, when you are a teacher, you typically tend to just be a really good student and you you enjoy school, you go back in. And so you're constantly um, in the back of your mind, because we've all been trained this way, you want to get that approval from your administration and you want to get a good, um, you know, evaluation and you want to see that your students are making progress. There's so many heavy things that just weigh on you. And when you deal with people, little people who have a big array of emotions and needs and all that stuff, um, setting the boundary for yourself and making sure that you are um, giving yourself a little bit of control and in what you can do, it would be so great if they said, oh, here is the best curriculum. I'm going to give it to every single teacher. And here are three new curriculums and you can do the science of reading. Here you go. No problem. That's just not feasible or doable for many um, adult teachers. You have too many things in your brain. You don't have enough brain space to learn new curriculums every three years. Um, but you do have the ability to 
fall back on the fact that you care about the kids. You want to do what's best for the kids. And you might have to look at your schedule a little bit and, and figure out where can you fit it in. I think your best advice, Shannon, is if it doesn't make sense to you, it's not going to make sense to the kids. So focus on that first, even mm -hmm. if it's just one piece at a time, focus one week at a time, like, Hey, I'm going to improve my phonemic awareness instruction. Maybe I'll try to vary it throughout the day, or, um, I'm going to really focus on, um, calling out words and, and focusing on phonics while we're working on comprehension at the same time so that I could weave that in. That's what you do the next week. And then the following week after that, don't try to make the change at one time. It's just too much brain space that's being used. Yeah. So, and as I, I told my friend too, I said, listen, anytime I've ever been doing good instruction where the students mm -hmm. are engaged and I'm comfortable I've never been dinged on an evaluation, even if it's not following the initiatives, right? Like there was one time when we had, it was remember the scripted horrible phonics program that I hated in my old, old school that I've told you, I don't really name drop it, but I hated it. Mm -hmm. I purposely was not doing it with my kindergarten students. And like, I got observed by someone from the county office and I was doing an interactive read aloud and with rhyming words and, you know, they were jumping up when they heard a rhyming word and we were doing movements and things. And he went back to my principal and raved about my lesson. And it wasn't anything that I was supposed to be doing at that moment. Yes. And that was a big aha to me. Like, okay, if, if yeah. they see good teaching and they see good learning happening, then, you know, they're going to, yeah. they're not going to look as closely at the checklist of all the non-negotiables that they're looking for. Yeah. I remember, and I know I've shared this before, but I remember it was my first year teaching special education. I had an um, interrelated or kind of like um, a resource room, but I would also go into other classrooms too. So uh, I remember walking into the teacher across the hall, who, who was a kindergarten teacher. And I just put my head down on, on the table and I said, when am I ever going to be a good teacher? Mm -hmm. And she said, you have to stop measuring um, that your approval is going to make you a good teacher. You'll oh. feel when you're a good teacher. Wow. And you'll, I know, oh, I know. And, and she said, it's going to take a little while, but you'll get there. And it's so true. It is absolutely so true. And we've talked about like the magic that happens around the circle table. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's really what it is. It's when you are in your groove and your kids are right there too. And, and that's what your ultimate goal should be. Um, we are not saying don't listen to your administrators. We're mm -hmm. not saying don't follow the curriculum. We're just saying like set some good boundaries and, and put away some of the guilt um, yes. so that you can actually do it. Do Because then you're done. focused on the learning rather than the teaching. And that's what bothers me a lot about the initiatives and the what admin look for is that they're so focused on checking off, seeing certain teaching practices and the teacher's doing this, the teacher's doing this. Well, the teacher could be doing that with like zero students in the room. <laughs> yeah. So, so what does it matter, <laughs> you know? And right. so it's really focused on the learning and like we, we teach people, we don't teach standard and curriculum. Like we're just leading the students to the curriculum. We're leading the yeah. students to the standards. We're facilitating their learning. Yep. But it's really focused on the learner. And so once I switched to that focus, I mean, even at some point I had to start my last years in the classroom, I ended up having like 
two lesson plans. Like I had one on the left that was like, this is what I actually plan to do during all these subjects. And then the right side of my lesson plan book was like, this is what actually happened during the workshops. Because, because you know, if my students weren't getting the lesson that I had planned, then sometimes I go to my file cabinet and I pulled out something different and I printed on my printer really fast. And we, we did a different activity or I, I tried a different method and sometimes we'd scrap it. You know, if the math lesson wasn't going well, I would shorten it and we'd jump to another subject. And then I would go back to math later when I had regrouped and figured out, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to approach it this way instead after I reflected on the problems that the students were having and the barriers they were having to their learning. And I was so focused on the students learning that it made me a really, I don't know, responsive teacher. Yeah. Where I couldn't, I really was barely focused on my lesson plan. I just sort of had a loose outline in my head, but it was, I knew where I was taking them and I had the objective in my mind and I had the standard in my mind. But sometimes the way I got them there was not the way I'd planned because when it's not working, you feel it not working. And so I would make very quick adjustments. Nice. I'm so excited about this season, Shannon. It's going <laughs> to be so good. It is. Um, I love learning in the brain, yes. period. Um, because I think that it, I don't know, it feels obscure because every brain is so different, but we also have so much information and, um, scientific, uh, studies that are done now that help us specifically teach kids how to read. Like Mm -hmm. these things must connect now getting the strategies down to make sure that the kids are actually, um, making these connections. That's where we're going to start to dive in a little bit. We're going to teach you what they need, and then we're going to help fill in some of the pieces about how strategies work. And chances are you've already been doing a lot of these strategies, but let's just be really specific about it this season. Yes. And we have been, people have asked about it. We are finally going to do some episodes about fluency and vocabulary. Yes. Everybody's been asking and I love teaching it. I've been teaching it so much with my tutoring recently. Um, and, um, yeah, I do a lot of fluency phrasing and, um, I mean, I, I rarely teach sight words in isolation. I always teach them through phrasing. I think that that's really important. And, um, yeah, we're probably going to talk a little bit about what's going on with, um, oral reading fluency and, uh, doing reading records and things like that and how important or not so important they are for um, keeping tabs on your kids. Secret, the most important thing is to watch and listen to your children read. You need to be able to look and identify and hear and see and take notes about um, where they're struggling. And yeah, just because we're not watching for three queuing anymore doesn't mean we're not doing running records. Right. Exactly. Um, you still need to do all of these things. And you probably have already been doing it, but, um, we're going to give you some new language to maybe explain why that's so important and why those connections are so important for each of your learners, depending on their learning style. So. Absolutely. So Mary, what is going on this year with your advocacy, um, practice and your tutoring practice? Yeah. So, um, I feel like I haven't chatted a whole lot about my advocacy, um, practice. Um, or I definitely talk about my tutoring practice a lot, but, um, I have been working with families specifically since I left the classroom, um, when my oldest daughter was born. 
Um, and I was tutoring privately. And then um, the family had asked if I could come and sit in on some of the meetings. And so when I was sitting the IEP there, meetings, I, right? The IEP meetings, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, sitting on the other side of the table gave me um, just kind of a unique perspective because I was able to have these background conversations with parents that I wasn't able to have when I was the classroom teacher or the special education teacher. And um, in our district, it was stated to me several times, you may not tell the parent, blah, 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 blah. And um, it was because basically, if you were to tell the parent um, something, the district would have to pay for it. Yeah. And those illegal much. Okay. Yeah. Well, it just gets really messy. And I felt a lot of times I felt uncomfortable um, being in that position on the other side of the table. And um, because when parents go to sit down that IEP meeting, they actually, all of that stuff is said in that 0.8 font, double, you know, single yes. space, two page <laughs> back and front document with these are your rights as a parent. Yes. Do you have any questions? And then everybody moves on because we are on a time crunch. Yes. It's really, it's really tricky. And so not only that, um, I think that, and I think I've said this before too, I think I'm a much better teacher now that I'm a mother. I think I was always a good teacher, but um, a perspective from a parent's point of view is just something that I thought I understood until I didn't, until I had kids. So just, you have the love there. And then you know that fierce mother bear feeling. And then you yeah. realize every parent that sits across from you at a parent conference has that same feeling about their child. I think the other part is that you feel clueless about everything all mm -hmm. the time. And you can, you can second guess and doubt yourself all the time. And so um, one of the roles that I've taken on as an advocate is also a parent coach. And I will coach parents on how to help their um, children learn the reading skills. So I will teach the kids first, and then I will teach the parents how to do similar activities to reinforce it at home so that you know, we're really clear. And especially when you work with kids who have um, some learning difficulties, and this is true of most kids, but they'll say, no, you're not doing it right. That's not how my teacher did it. And so <laughs> it's really easy to shut down. Yeah. And so if I am teaching at the same time, I know that that's um, building a better bond between those parents and the, the parent feels more confident, but more than anything, it's really building confidence and understanding what all the jargon is, what, what the rights mean, you know, how can we build a bridge with this school? Parents do not want to go to war with schools. Nobody wants that. If you're spending time with your kid, you want that to be um, somebody who you trust and somebody who, um, you know, is going to enrich their lives in a really positive way. You don't want to have an enemy at the school and, and teachers don't want to have enemies as parents either. They're, that's, that's not, that is not actually how it works. And yet sometimes I think of the perception is that, you know, it's like calling Comcast where you have to argue and, and scream and get your way. Um, I have found that um, in my practice, my goal is really to help build a bridge with the school and find some really strong commonalities and help the parents support the teachers and then figure out how to best support the teachers to support the kid. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, and that's what I was really craving when I was teaching. So um, when I first meet with a family, I'll give you the quick overview. We do an intake form. I create, I meet with the child probably twice um, for a tutoring session and I do some informal assessments. And then I create um, kind of a light 
um, evaluation form that kind of talks about where the child's learning styles are. If they happen to have um, an evaluation that goes along with it, I add in all of that information and data. And then parents are able to take this as like a working document to the school and say, here is the language that I understand that my child has strengths and weaknesses in, and here's the data to back it up. And um, then we start the conversation with the school. So um, it's, uh, it's really interesting. So I love working with families who I am also tutoring with, but I also work with families who I may not be working one-on-one -on -one with their child. I'm just kind of helping coach them along through the advocacy portion. Um, but uh, as Shannon said earlier, I love to help families, but when I make an investment in a family, it's like an all-in investment. And so I need to make sure that I can really like devote all the time to them. So I do work on a referral only basis um, right now. And, you know, I've been full and I'm trying to keep my calendar, um, you know, as like blocked off so that I can actually give to the families what they need that I'm working with. So that's been a process, but um, I'm really I can see why that's it. hard to say no, because you want to help those families. You want to be there for them, but you can only, you can't pour from an empty cup. So right. you have to balance that. Right. And um, uh, I had a conversation this morning and I'll, I'll say this, this is probably the most frequent conversation I have. When you first have um, an evaluation done for your child, they um, basically, it's a laundry list of all the things that your kid can't do. And it mm -hmm. is the hardest thing to read. And it's something that you're struggling with because, you know, you, you come to this school and you say, my child is struggling. What's wrong? What's going on? And then you finally get some of the answers from either a psychological evaluation, from um, data from the school's SST team, the student support team. Um, and going into a meeting and hearing what your kid can't do is really hard. But um, I'm always weaving through you're so lucky that you are the one that is the parent for this child. They are so lucky to have you. You are the one in their corner and you are bringing people together and you're fortunate. Your kid is fortunate enough to have you as their parent, even though it's hard to understand and hard to go through it. You know, at least you have answers now. And once you have the answers, that's when you can take the next step forward. But you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's um, a labor of love for me to keep yes. doing this. Anyway, so yeah, so that's what, that's how my practice is going. Good. Well, um, we, I know that you will keep sharing stories throughout the season. Of, I will. Let's go with specific families and students. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm really looking forward to this season, Shannon. It's going to be great. Now, what else is on our docket? Um, well, for this school year, I'm excited. I um, remember I talked at the season four finale that I had ordered a bunch of resources with um, my federal funds and they started coming in this summer and during pre-planning. And so I um, have unpacked my flyleaf decodables. They are beautiful. And my high noon books, those are um, chapter books and more advanced maturity books for students that are at lower reading levels. So mm -hmm. it's sort of designed for middle school and high school students that might be at a third grade reading level. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be with my resource students. I'm going to have um, an independent checkout uh, oh, cool. area in my, in my resource room where in addition to the books that they get from the media center, from the school, 
they're going to be responsible for books that are on their um, decoding and Lexile levels. Excellent. Um, that they have oh, to get from I love me. That. So, and then also we have some school volunteers. And so they've been hesitant to come in the building um, the last few years because of COVID, but I think that they're more comfortable this year. And so if they are, I would like to pair them up and ha- have them um, as an accountability buddy with my resource students so that oh, yeah. they could um, conference with those students about the reading goals and making sure that they're reading their media center books and taking their accelerator tests. Cause that is a, that is a practice we do at our school. And then, but also reading the books that I was, you know, given them from um, our checkout system in the resource room and just having that accountability where someone else cares about their reading life, you know, and that I, I can't do that for all my resource students. Cause I have so many and I'm only in the building um, a few days a week. And so I'm hoping that I can push some of those volunteers out to help serve that role for some of my students. Love that. That's great. Yeah. Oh, and nice. I also um, got a bunch of learning games um, from really good stuff in Lakeshore that are focused on comprehension skills and vocabulary skills. Um, and so I'm looking forward to weaving that in my instruction. I'm going to really, really streamline my phonics to make it as quick as possible. I really only want to focus on it for the first nine weeks of school mm-hmm. and then dig really deep into vocabulary and fluency for the second oh, yeah. and third nine weeks. And oh, while good, I'm doing that. vocabulary and fluency, comprehension will be woven into that, of course, because you know you have to understand the vocabulary to even begin to have comprehension of the story. But then the last nine weeks of school, I'll really focus on some comprehension skills. But that's what I'm kind of doing is like one nine weeks decoding, one nine weeks vocabulary, one nine weeks fluency, one nine weeks comprehension. I'm going to try that this year um, with the the, kind of the overall focus of what I'm doing with students, even though I kind of do all those things at the same time. I'm still waiting for some vocabulary resources I ordered from the Van Cleave company. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I ordered like um, vocabulary cards that have the Greek and Latin roots and just things like that. Um, but I did get in um, Morphine Magic and I've yeah. given them um, to all the upper grade teachers and I have a set as well. And it's a nice, very easy TE to follow where it asks the student, it asks the teacher um, to make vocabulary notebooks for the students. And just for about 10, 15 minutes each day, you're either teaching a root or a prefix or a suffix. Awesome. And um they add that to their notebook and mm-hmm. you might do a word web or you might write some sentences with them. You're talking about the meaning. You're talking about all the different forms. Um, you might do some word sums. There's just a lot of different activities that are suggested for that, whatever that focus is that day. But um, the teachers seem pretty excited to try it with their students. And I figured the fourth grade teacher, the fifth grade teacher, the sixth grade teacher, the seventh grade teacher, the eighth grade teacher has it. The students could have a spiral review of those all every year and they would just go deeper and deeper with understanding those words, especially because we have so many English language learners in my school. So I'm still waiting for my geodes decodables to come in. Those are going to be like the fly leaf, but they're going to, um, the fly leaf ones are, you know, like it's, it's got a text that's for short O and a text Mm -hmm. for long U and, and, you know, it goes through the whole kind of scope and sequence of the, of the phonics sounds. Um, and geodes is the same way, but it's, it's almost like a guided reading set for that. Oh, and they're really, really nice books. Um, fiction and nonfiction, just really high quality books. And so, um, I can't decide if I'm going to keep those in the resource room and check them out to teachers, or if they're just going to have them in their classrooms 
but Very I'm excited funny. to get those in the hands of the teachers and the students. So um, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to mostly have upper grade students, except I do have some students that either the parents have learned about my role in the school and they've asked me to work with their child. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, or I've had them in the past, but they might not necessarily be in the room that I'm going in this year, but this parent has said, I still want you to work with my child. So Sweet. this year I'm actually going to have, um, sometimes when I'm going into classrooms or pushing out, you know, specifically like this is my fourth grade time, or this is my, you know, sixth grade time. And then other, uh, other times I'm actually just going to have sort of an open, open tutoring time. Mm-hmm. And I might pull random students on random days and just be working mm-hmm. like one-on-one. So, okay. cause like, for example, I have a second grader who um, I advocated over the summer that the parents get um, her and Orton Gilliam tutor and they did. Great. And so then the tutor sent me her evaluation and all of the things that she was working on with the child. And so now I can, I can just pick that up from the school at the school level and run with it too. And we can work See as that a team. Bridge, people, if you exactly. have a tutor that you're working with, you need to have a contact at that school. Make sure that you're all doing the same thing. Keep and that's the parents being their own advocates. It really is. Um, I mean, they did ask me last year, sort of, how do I advocate for my child? And I tried to give them some advice and where to yeah. start kind of things that I learned from you. And then they've, they've taken them just really, you know, um, been the number one support for their children and so for their child and so even though I don't go with second grade normally I'm, I'm going to see that second grade and work with her so I'm excited about this year um excellent yeah great so um we should share too about what we're doing for the podcast listeners this year yeah um with our patreon a little bit yes. so we're going to be um introducing a new kind of level for our patreon last year I'm telling you people things we have big ambitions and sometimes yeah, and then, they come right, to fruition it, and sometimes <laughs> they just don't. <laughs> We've just been trying different things out and then just seeing like what fits within what we can offer and then also be of yeah. real value to um, to you guys. And then also kind of looking at what kind of questions we get from email, you know, and right. on social media of what kind of support teachers yeah. looking for, especially because we hear um, from a number of teachers like that are brand new. Um, right. So we're early in their to, career. We're going to try to offer some different tiered. So um, the first one is going to be the insider tier. And that would be um, getting our show notes and getting some PDFs um, of uh, important topics that we talk about. And um, we'll give you a whole lot more information um, as the season kind of progresses. We'll do like kind of an intro video and stuff like that. Um, and then we'll also have a literacy support level. Um, where uh, we'll do some live training on Facebook and um, we'll do a monthly Q&A Zoom um, and uh, have a private Facebook page for those um, that tier at Patreon. And then finally, we're going to do some one-on-one. And if you choose to be at that level, we'll do um, a monthly 60-minute call with you. And um, potentially, if we have more listeners doing that, um, create a cohort and, and do some, some one-on-one coaching um, where we could help with lesson plans, or we could help with, um, and, or help with analyzing student assessment data informing mm-hmm. an instructional plan or intervention plan from there, just sort of, I guess what we wish we had. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Starting out. If you don't feel like you have that teacher across the hall that you, um, can really, you know, get in deep with, maybe we can be that person for you. 
So um, yeah, we'll send out a whole lot more information about our Patreon. So be on the lookout. But they can also uh, go to um, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash reading teachers lounge um, and find the information there. Or they could actually go on our reading teachers lounge.com and at the top, um, there's it'll, a link it'll say it. check our Patreon. And then even at the, um, and all of our show notes on the podcast apps at the very bottom, it says support our show. And that, I can't change that wording. That's what the podcast host puts in the buzzsprout is who hosts our podcast and they put the wording that way but if you click on the link that says support our show it actually brings you to our patreon page yeah so um anyway so we are those are um some of the things that we're working on this season and we are excited for more listeners and also i just wanted to take a second and say i'm so excited we've been getting some more traction from some you know bigger accounts, um, that have been following us on, um, Instagram, especially, and they are retweeting us or re, um, sharing our information as some of the top podcasts for learning about the science of reading. So we are really excited to be a part of that community and, um, we're grateful to learn with all of you. Yes. We still feel like Oh, that we're still learning. <laughs> yeah. So it well, feels a little like, learning. oh, we're in the big leagues when they're grouping us with these other people in the community. But um, Th- this is our an vulnerability honor. and we're yeah. learning and we're grateful too that um, guests have said yes to us to help us learn along the way. And our goal is always to promote um, this light professional developing for people who are curious about how to um, teach children to read. Yeah. Because I mean, at the the end of the day, how we see each other is we're, we're, we call this the reading teachers lounge because we are reading teachers mm-hmm. working with readers every day, helping them get to literacy, yep. whatever method we have to use and whatever practices we have to use. And um, we started this just with the discussion of between us as neighbors and friends. And um, we wanted to open a discussion to more people because I wish I'd had people to talk about this when I was, you know, starting out on the learning. Me too. Literacy learning journey. Me too. So thanks to the people who have been with us from season one till now. And then thank you to all the new listeners too. We're happy to have you here in the reading teachers lounge. And we look forward to having you all season as we talk about the reading brain. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. Cheers to season five.